As I mentioned in the announcements, today's first Sunday in Advent, and Advent is a season when we're paying attention to our deepest desire for God to come to us. And our scripture passage for today, it comes from the lectionary. We're in year B as you start your new prayer book. If you are praying on Sunday, the passages are year B, starting with 2020 Advent. And the passage that, that we're in for today is Psalm 80, verses 1 to 7. And in this psalm, the psalmist gives poetic expression to the Advent experience, to what it feels like to be human and to long for God to come to us. And what he names is that the way this feels when God comes to us is it feels like God's face is shining upon us. Listen as I read our passage for this morning. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Word of the Lord. And in this psalm, the psalmist is praying to God in the midst of difficult circumstances. He's experiencing really ruinous circumstances in his life. And he describes what this feels like and what this experience is in a number of ways. He talks about God being angry with him, God's anger smoldering against his people. He names that it feels as though he has been abandoned by God and that God is not listening to his prayers and there's so much desolation that he's, he's saying the, our sustenance is tears that we're collecting in a bowl. This is how we're feeding ourselves. And then he's naming that he's experiencing mock, being mocked and derided by his neighbors. And I, and I just want to remind us, I've said this before, but the Psalms are not theology texts. So they're not necessarily defining what is true or what is reality. They're not exegeting God, they're more exegeting the human soul. So when we go to the Psalms, we can see what it feels like in great poetic expression to be human and to be in relationship with God by faith. So when the psalmist is saying that God doesn't hear his prayers, that's not necessarily true, but it, it feels like it because of his experience of difficulty. This is what is true. The psalmist is in desolation. It feels like God's not answering his prayers. It feels like God has abandoned him as he faces all these difficult circumstances in his life. And so as I, I read this psalm as our Advent text for today, and I think back over 2020, I can't help but wonder how many of you have been in places over this last year where Psalm 80 has been your prayer. 
where you have gone to God in prayer and felt like God isn't listening to you. Maybe you've cried out to God in prayer, felt like you're collecting your tears in a bowl for your sustenance. So many losses over this last year. Some of you, it may be in your marriage, in your workplace, your kid's school, financial hardships, isolation, loss of community. And this psalm is a prayer for us in 2020 as we're transitioning into Advent and we can tap into our longing for God to come to us. Because ultimately, this isn't a psalm that just names its losses. It also names how God comes to us in our losses by naming our desire for God's face to shine upon us. In the midst of this lament, this is what the psalmist is doing. He's sort of oscillating between these two things. He's naming the difficulties that he's experiencing, and then he's asking for God to restore him, to make his face shine upon him, and to save him. Three times throughout the psalm. So I just read the first seven verses of the psalm, but the psalm keeps going. And three times throughout the psalm, there is this refrain that keeps getting repeated over and over in verse 3 and in verse 7, and then it ends with this refrain in verse 19. And so this is the anchor that in the midst of his difficulty, this is the longing that he's tapping into, which is very much an Advent longing. It's articulated here in uh, in verse 7. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And this is... This is our Advent prayer. This is what we are doing in Advent. We're tapping into this desire in the midst of a year like we've had in 2020 where we're asking God, restore us. How? Restore us by making your face shine on us and saving us. It's kind of an odd phrase, this making your face shine on us, but it's familiar throughout the New Testament. And if you've been in church for a long time, I'm sure you've heard a pastor, maybe even me or somebody else on staff here, pray a prayer of benediction, where that's talking about God's face shining upon us. Sort of the original location of this is Numbers 6, 22 to 27. This is sort of the, the, the primary benediction that is used for the people of God. It comes... Uh, from Numbers, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is the command to the priests to bless the people of God. And a lot of it has to do with this making God's face shine or turning God's face towards His people. Common benediction. Uh, some of you may be aware during uh, early on in the pandemic, there is a band at this church called Elevation somewhere in uh, like North Carolina or South Carolina. And they wrote this song called The Blessing. And it's basically just the words of this numbers passage that they put to melody and they sing it And it became hugely popular. It just blew up. And then you had people from all over the world singing this a cappella in socially distanced form. So you would have like four people and they would each sing their part 
uh, in their home, in front of their computer, and then somebody would splice all of them together. And I think part of what made this song so meaningful to people was that in the midst of a pandemic where there is so much loss, the thing that we long for is for God's face, to feel God's favor, to feel God's love upon us when people were first trying to sort through what this pandemic was going to mean. And there was so much loss and so much pain and so much heartache. And, and that's why, you know, all these songs were racking up millions and millions of views on YouTube. There's something about this idea of God's face shining upon us that resonates with some deep longing within our soul. And I think it's mirroring a reality that we experience in human relationships when we look at one another face to face. Uh, not too long ago, a friend uh, told me that uh, if you stare into someone else's eyes, it releases oxy, uh, oxytocin, which is the chemical in your brain that is responsible for making you feel attracted to another person. So if you stare into another person's eyes, you are causing a chemical reaction in their brain where they then feel attracted to you and you feel attracted to them. And so I've heard marriage counselors will sometimes give uh, conflicted couples this as a homework assignment to like go home and sit in front of one another, stare into one another's eyes for five minutes straight. This is a way for helping to to renew and revive some of the attraction between one another. One Christian author I like uh, says, and I've talked about this before, he, he talks about how one of the practices that he and his wife do regularly is they get into, they take off all their clothes, they get into bed naked, they lie in bed, and they stare into one another's eyes and affirm one another. It's an incredibly intimate thing. And he says that one of the reasons he does this is because our marriage is a sign and wonder of God's relationship with the church. And so what a husband and wife are meant to do with one another is you're, supposed to, you're meant to reflect to your spouse the way God feels about your spouse. So you're supposed to mirror God's feelings towards your spouse the way uh, in, in, in yourself and in your own behavior. And so what he's saying is he's called to stare into his wife's eyes in this intimate way and affirm her, gaze at her, love her the way God is doing that to each of us. Another one of my friends says, uh, because of this reality, this power of staring into another person's eyes and the chemical reaction it causes in the brain of attraction and the experience of love, is that he makes uh, in a concerted effort, intentional, uh, about, he'll, I've seen him do this, he'll take his kids and he'll pull them aside and he'll like grab them by the cheeks if they're kind of doing this, and he'll look directly into their eyes and pause and just stare into their eyes and then ask them a question. Hey, how was school today? Or he'll make a statement like, I love you, it's, it's so good to see you but doing this intentional face-to-face, -face, staring into the eyes of the other person practice. And this is the way that you, you and I are wired, and I think this is what the psalmist is getting at this passage and what that numbers, blessing, uh, benediction is all about. God's face shining upon us implies that we have captured God's gaze. 
And that there is this awareness in our spirit that God is looking at us. And this then triggers something deep within where we experience God's attraction to us. And it triggers our attraction for God in this spiritual realm in a way that parallels face-to-face eye contact with another human being. And so that's what our psalmist is trying to name in the midst of this prayer that he's praying in the midst of, of tremendous loss. The loss isn't driving him away from God. You know, things are falling apart in his life to the point where he, he feels like God isn't doing what God is supposed to do. God isn't showing up the way he's supposed to show up. And yet, in the midst of this loss, he's experiencing a longing for God in face-to-face intimacy. <coughs> and this back-and-forth reality between abandonment and longing for God This really encapsulates what it feels like to be a human being in relationship with God. I'm sure you've recognized this this feeling like God is nowhere near, and then this deep longing for face-to-face intimacy, and then maybe in prayer starting to experience that love in your spirit of consolation. And what I have noticed is this is very true for my own spiritual life, that often in these moments of desolation, I become most aware of my longing for God and then God's attraction and desire for me. Like His face is shining upon me and like He loves me. And this has certainly been my experience throughout 2020. It's been this year of pain and and feeling abandonment, like things aren't going well or I'm in hard situations that I just wish would change or end. But then there's been these moments of extraordinary consolation as I live into the loss and turn to God in prayer. I experience His face shining upon me, His desire for me, for intimacy with me. And what I'm coming to see, what I think our psalmist is naming, is the way that these two things are married together. There's something about us going through loss and hardship and then feeling and experiencing God's face shining upon us. And I want to share two other texts that have been really helpful for me over this last year as I have prayed this Psalm 80 prayer, as I've lived this Psalm 80 experience, feeling this interplay between loss and abandonment and God's deep desire for me with His face shining upon me. And these two passages help me understand how I can prepare and I can ease the transition from this feeling of abandonment and loss into this experience of God's face shining upon me. So when I'm in this place where it feels like tears are my sustenance, these two passages remind me how I go from here, this feeling of deep loss and abandonment, into this place of experiencing God's desire for me, God's intimacy with me, God's face shining upon me. And both of these passages are about Jesus and about his willingness to accept loss and embrace loss all the way up to the point of the cross. And I think this speaks to the way he was able to maintain this intimate relationship with the Father throughout his whole life, no matter what was going on. The first passage is from Matthew 16. 
Jesus said this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what Jesus makes very clear in this invitation is that there is a connection between gaining life or or having this experience of restoration and salvation that our psalmist talks about, God's face shining on us, and following Him. So in order to experience God's face shining upon us, this, this salvation, this restoration, we have to be willing to follow Jesus to the cross. In order to find our life, we need to be willing to lose our life following Jesus across. Now, this is like, uh, this is metaphorical. What does this mean? This is where I like the second passage that's been really helpful to me. This sort of defines for me what it means to follow Jesus, and that's Philippians 2. This is Paul basically saying, this is how you follow Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, or follow the example of Christ who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even within this passage, it's clear that there's this transition from abandonment, the hard realities of life, to this restoration, salvation, and glory and exaltation even. And the, the key piece for me, as I have prayed through these two passages, of what it means to follow Jesus, to make this transition from feeling abandoned as I face hardship into this place of experiencing God's restoration and salvation, His face shining upon me, is in this core um, thing that Jesus did, which, which Paul names as making himself nothing. So if I'm over here, and I'm experiencing pain and loss in our hard world, and I want to move over to here and experience this intimacy with the Father, where I'm feeling restoration and salvation, it feels like God's face is shining upon me, the way that I aid this transition, make myself receptive to God's face shining upon me, is by following the example of Jesus, which is making myself nothing. Thomas Keating merges these two passages together and then retranslates, kind of paraphrases, the Matthew 16 passage, and he says it like this. If you try to save your life, like when things are going badly, if you you kick and scream and rage and try and be in control of situations and and save your life, you will ruin it. 
you try and save your life, you will ruin it. But if you make yourself nothing, then you'll find true life. And this is at the very heart of the gospel, and it's so counterintuitive, and everything within us resists this. But this is the invitation of the cross. This is what Jesus is calling us to. If you try and save your life and be in control of how everybody thinks about you and sees you and what you have and what you achieve, then you will bring your life to ruin. You can let go and make yourself nothing, and you'll find life. Making yourself nothing isn't self-loathing. It's not wallowing in shame and saying, I'm not worth anything. I'm no good. To make yourself nothing is to make yourself no thing. No thing. I am not my job. I am not the success I can achieve. I am not the money I have. I am not the reaction I can cause in others. I am not the esteem or the status I can get. I'm not the power I have in family or society. I'm not the things that I have accomplished. I am no thing. I am simply a person that God has chosen to love. And if we refuse to make ourselves no thing, then we're saying, I am this thing. I need this thing in order to be a person. And when we do that, it's like God is staring at us, longing for this intimacy of beloved to beloved, And we're looking at something else. That precious thing that we need to wrap around ourselves to know that we have worth and identity. We're staring at that. We're fixated on that as God's fate. As He is looking upon us, we refuse to look back to Him. It's a little bit like the husband and wife who are crawling into bed to do their intimate eye, face-to-face eye contact moment where they're trying to produce these experiences of oxycodone and attraction to one another and affirm one another and love one another. It's as if they're getting into bed like that and, and the wife is ready and she's staring at her husband, but her husband's staring at his phone. She wants to communicate her love for him, but he can't pull himself away from his phone. He's, he's on Twitter because you know there's just been this politician who's made this tweet and it's crazy and everyone's blowing up and he can't pull himself away from the feet, or or he's watching the sports score on ESPN.com tally, or he's trying to fire off that last email or finish a video game that he's in the middle of. He's addicted to his phone. He's attached to it. And he's missing out on intimacy with his wife. But then his phone battery dies. His phone no longer works. And, and this is a disruptive and distressing experience. We all have had it happen. You're in the middle of doing something on your phone, and your battery dies. Ah, so annoying. And while it causes him some pain, it also means that he puts down the thing that he is looking at. This loss of a phone battery dying means he puts down his phone and he realizes his wife is staring at him. And at this point in time, he can embrace the loss and let go of his phone and turn towards his spouse, or he can get up and leave the bed and find a charger and keep doing what he's doing. 
And I think this is the very experience that we're invited into when Jesus invites us to make ourselves no thing and to put down the thing that we're fixated on and attached to in our life and notice God's gaze is upon us. And I think what our psalmist is experiencing is in those moments of loss and abandonment, there is this opportunity. It's like the phone battery dying in a very simple example. Of us to sit in that nothing, to welcome the loss of the thing that we were formerly attached to. And in that moment of letting go and making ourselves no thing, making ourselves nothing, deep humility, then we become aware of God's gaze, that He is looking at us, and that His face is shining upon us. Friends, this is what Advent is all about. Tapping into this longing for God's gaze. Stopping all the striving to make ourselves something in the world. Doing a practice to make ourselves nothing, nothing, and noticing God's gaze, God's coming to us. Advent and Christmas have historically been different seasons in the church calendar. Advent is the season of preparation where we're tapping into our longing for God. And then Christmas is that season where we're celebrating God's coming to us in Jesus. And so throughout Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're doing things to help us prepare to receive God's coming. We're doing things that help us make this transition from this world of pain and loss because we're attached to all these things, we need all these things, over to here where we're welcoming God's coming to us, where we're receiving God's gaze upon us. It's all about tapping into longing, waiting, preparing our hearts to receive God's coming. And historically, uh, one of the ways that Christians have done this is by fasting. Um, It's funny, we're in a sermon series called Surprised by Joy, and one of the applications is going to be to invite you to fast, but this is What we do, we let go of something in order to experience something greater. God's coming to us that brings us a deep sense of joy and consolation. Lent is, so Advent is one, historically one of two seasons in the church calendar where Christians fast. Lent's the other one. Lent's more about purgation, but Advent fasts are more about preparation. It's about letting go of something so that we can make space Kind of that song, Joy to the World, let us prepare our hearts, prepare room in our hearts for Christ to come. This is the central call and purpose of this season, preparing, making space in our hearts to receive God's coming to us. This transition from being over here, we're experiencing pain and loss because we're clinging to something. Making this transition, we're letting go of things in our soul to make space God's presence to come. So this Advent, for the next four weeks until Christmas, is there something that you can give up, that you can fast from, that would help you live into this calling to follow Jesus, to become no thing, so that you're making space to receive God's coming to you. You're making space to Notice, to turn towards God and notice His gaze, His eyes staring upon you, 
his attraction for you, his desire for intimacy with you. Is there something that you might fast from that will help prepare your heart to receive Christ this upcoming Christmas season? If so, I would encourage you to think about that and commit to a fast over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Gracious God, in the midst of loss, we want to name our pain, but also notice the invitation like the psalmist did. Pay attention to our deep longing for your face to shine upon us. God, this Advent, would you help this community to prepare our hearts to receive you. You're coming to us, your gaze upon us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.